Well, good morning and happy New Year's Eve to you. Uh, so glad to be with you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and I especially love this service. We typically do this twice a year where we have one service and we have everybody from, you know, birth all the way to, I don't know what's who the oldest person is in here, but I know it's a big gap and I won't, uh, won't say who the oldest person is in here, but um, we are glad that everyone is here, one church family. Just a reminder to us that we are the body of Christ, uh, young and old, uh, all stories coming together with Christ as uh, as our Savior, as our Lord. All glory be to Christ as we just sang. And so, um, parents, by the way, uh, it is not a problem if your kids are a little squirmy, wormy today. No big deal. Uh, we are glad that you are here today. There were some sermon notes pages that you can grab if you didn't on the way in. Um, you can go back out there and grab one. And if, you, uh, if your kids need to get up and walk around, I won't take offense to that. Um, you know, I won't be offended that they think that my sermon is awful. Uh, that's totally fine. Uh, no, we are just glad that you are here. And along with um, all of you who are here, particularly if you are a guest, we're grateful that you've joined us this morning as well. If you didn't get a chance on the way in, make sure on the way out you stop by the hub, which is that big round desk and lobby. We'd love to meet you, get to know you a little bit, answer any questions you might have, and, uh, and serve you when we can. And along with that physical hub, there's something also known as the virtual hub which is on forexcolarn.com. That's where you can find everything that's going on in the life of our church. And so we encourage you to go there. There's a lot of stuff that is taking place in the life of Four Oaks, but I want to highlight for you one announcement today, uh, and it is our re-engage ministry. This is a ministry that comes alongside of couples, whether you're young or you're old, whether you're struggling or you're doing great or anywhere in between. Um, this is a mentoring program that, that helps you to grow in your relationship as husband and wife. We've had about 175 Couples participate since we launched this ministry about five years ago, and we have another round that's starting in a few weeks. Uh, Monday night, January 22nd is when we start. Uh, there's free childcare that's available for anyone who needs it, and, uh, and this is just a great place for you as a husband and wife to, to, to grow together. Uh, it's also an opportunity for you to meet in a small group setting with other couples that are in a similar station of life as you, and to be cared for by a mentor couple who will encourage you pray for you and serve you in any way they can over the course of the 15 weeks. It is kind of a long commitment, but I guarantee you it's well worth it. Uh, my wife and I, we participated five times, uh, twice as participant couple and three times as a mentor couple, and we benefited each time we've gone through it, and so I would invite you to do the same. Uh, we have our registration deadline January 15th or when we meet capacity. Uh, this particular time we have a capacity for 20 couples, and uh, so far I think we have 10 couples that are registered. And uh, one other thing I want to mention to you is if you're new to Four Oaks, this is a great way to get to know some other people in our church. In fact, we've actually taken some of our small groups um, from Reengage and then launched them into an official community group whenever Reengage is over. And so if you are new and you're wanting to build some relationships, and then after the course of Reengage is over and you're like, man, let's stay together, uh, that is a welcome thing. Uh, one other thing I'm going to mention to you, uh, is that thus far, almost all of our couples who have registered are fairly newly married. And so if that particularly appeals to you, would invite you to participate. But of course, we welcome any and all ages to, to jump in. So again, that's um, starting on Monday night, January 22nd, uh, and we would love to have you. All right, I'm going to um, just invite you now as we are preparing for God's Word. But before that, we prepare our hearts 
uh, as, as, as we think about giving. Um, this is the last day of 2023, and so if you do want to give uh, today, you are welcome to do that. But of course, we don't give just as the purpose of our tax write-off. The most important reason why we give as an act of worship, as, a, as an act of gratitude, of expressing our incredible uh, thankfulness to God who has been faithful through 2023, and we are looking forward to more of his future grace in 2024. And so if you want to give this morning, you can give uh, in a lot of different ways. You can give via text, you can give online, you can give via the app, or you can give via check or cash and just drop your offering in the box on your way out. All right, let me go ahead and pray for us. Ask that God would bless our time together as we open up his word. Lord, we do just come to you this morning. Uh, We look back on 2023 with gratitude in our hearts. Uh, While there's certainly been ups and downs along the way, we have seen that you have never changed, that you've always been faithful, that you've always been steadfast in your love for your people. And we look forward to more of that in 2024. And we just ask this morning that you would speak to us through your word, that you would stir up our hearts with affection for you, that you would grow our faith in you, that you would minister to us as we open up our ears, as we open up our eyes, and as we open up our hearts to your voice. Uh, Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, And as you are doing that, if you are a guest with us, we're making our way through the Gospel of Matthew for a while now. And we're going to come to a very um, familiar slash famous passage of Scripture this morning. But before we we jump into that passage, I thought I would share with you a story that I often do at the beginning. So it was the summer of 2001, and Julia and I had been apart for three months After graduating FSU, I got my first job, and she headed off to Jerusalem. She served in a humanitarian aid organization for three months there, and at the end of her time, she was going to spend a week traveling. Uh, She kind of stored up all of her her vacation days until her last week because she wanted to see the sights and the sounds of Israel. And so it was my plan to fly over and propose to her while she was there. Uh, It was supposed to be a surprise, but on the last day... Her team finally had to say, don't leave today. You need to wait until tomorrow. There's a guy who's coming who I think you want to wait for. And so um, she did. She greeted me at the airport, and we were super excited to hug one another for the first time in three months. And now the big plan was, when do I propose? So um, I was wondering about when that might be uh, along the path to get up to the Sea of Galilee. And so we got in a rental car, we head up to the Sea of Galilee, and we got to see all these sights and sounds of where Jesus walked and talked and healed. And it was just amazing to see the scriptures come to life. Some of you who have taken the trip to Israel, you know what that's like. Uh, and so we had a, a wonderful time. Uh, but along the way, I wasn't quite sure that this was the place for me to propose. In fact, I concluded that I was going to propose in Jerusalem. So at the end of our time in the Sea of Galilee, uh, we, we paid the bed and breakfast for two bedrooms, by the way. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> and, uh, and then at that point, we actually were out of cash. What was our last bit of cash? And so we're going to drive down to the Dead Sea. It's about three hours south. And then we're going to spend time in the Dead Sea, and then we're going to come back to Jerusalem. And, uh, and then we're going to finish up our, our travels. And I was gonna, hopefully going to propose to her that day. 
So that's the plan. Um, but as I mentioned, we're out of cash. And this is, a, this is a society that takes cash back in 2001. It's a key part of the story. Okay, so we head down to Dead Sea. And if you know anything about the Dead Sea, it is what? Dead. Uh, so we go to the restroom, we get changed, and then we get into the Dead Sea. And you can't swim, you just float. Uh, and everything dies there because of so much salt that's in the waters. And then it's time to get out. And you have to wash off right away because of all the stuff. And so we go back to the restroom, and um, Julia goes straight in, but there's an attendant outside of my restroom, and he says, you need to pay. I'm like, what? I have no cash. And so I'm like, well, I can't go in, and so I wait for Julia to come out. She's all showered up, looking beautiful as always. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, I, I couldn't, sh- I, couldn't I, I don't know what to do. Like, we need to, we need to, we need to wash off somewhere. So we, um, we leave the Dead Sea. And there's a resort that's not too far away. And so we get there. But if you know anything about Israel at this time, this is when there were a lot of bombings. And so tourism, there was no one anywhere that we went throughout the Sea of Galilee and here at the resort as well. It was like a ghost town. So we get there. Um, there is a resort, but they don't allow us to go in because, again, we don't have cash. Uh, we go to the ATM, and guess what? The ATM is out of cash, and by the way, along the way to the resort, our gas light turned on. Um, so we then go to the gas station that's around the resort, and they say, you can't pay here unless you have cash, which we didn't. Um, and so we're stuck. And so now I'm starting to like really itch, uh, skin's turning red, bumps are starting to form, and I am starting to really be upset. Um, I am hurting. This is supposed to be my day that I'm going to propose. And I am feeling awful. Okay, so we get, we get back in the parking lot. We get into our rental car. And we just say, God, I don't know what to do. Uh, the closest place that we can tell from our map is like 30, 20 to 30 kilometers away. We have no gas. We have no cash I am burning from the inside out. Like, I am hurting. What do we do, God? So we look at our map, and uh, we decide to get back on the road. And we come, to this, uh, we come to this spot a couple of miles down the road, and there is a sign that says to the left, which is kind of off the beaten path, to the left is the town, the next closest town that we were looking for. But on our map... It says to go straight. Now, if we go left where the sign says to go, it leads to the desert, even more so than we already are. We don't know how much gas we have left, and we're stuck. We are at a crossroads, and we don't know what to do. And so once again, we say, God, we are out of gas. We are out of cash. We are lost we are stuck, we are without resources, please help. Tell us where to go. Ever been a place like that? I think we all have. Uh, Maybe you might find yourself in a place like that right now. Well, today I want to talk to you about a similar situation, and I will tell the punchline later on. I want to tell you a similar situation the disciples faced as well. So if you haven't already, turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. This is a story that we are all familiar with, and the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels, it is the feeding of the 5,000. And because we're so familiar with this story, we can sometimes 
uh, kind of gloss over certain details of it. And we can kind of forget how significant this miracle really is. And so instead of standing up and reading the whole passage of Scripture at the beginning, instead, I want us to walk through this story one scene at a time. I want us to feel what the disciples felt. I want us to see what the crowd sees. And ultimately, I want us to pay attention to Jesus, who's the hero of this story. And along with um, these scenes, in fact, there's going to be five of them, I want us to see five invitations that uh, Jesus extends to his disciples and the crowd then, and that he wants to extend to us today when we face difficult, sometimes what might feel impossible situations. So can we do that? So today's sermon is entitled, The Feeding of the 5,000. We're just going to jump right into scene one. Scene one is this. Jesus calls his people to rest. Matthew 14, verse 13 says this. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. If you remember from a couple of weeks ago that we looked at, Jesus has just received news that his cousin, that his forerunner, John the Baptist, has been put to death. Alongside of that, as we know, Jesus has been growing in popularity so that everywhere Jesus goes, the crowd follows him. So much so that Mark records that Jesus and his disciples don't even have time to eat because there's so much coming and going. And as we've seen, alongside of the crowd, there's this growing hostility from the scribes and the Pharisees that seek to take down Jesus, to put him to death. Alongside of that, Mark and Luke also record that the disciples are waiting to debrief with Jesus what they experienced when they were sent out as his apostles with his authority to teach and heal throughout the region. And so, because of all of those things, it says that Jesus withdrew to a desolate place. I want you to think about this for a moment. We get a window into the humanity of Jesus, don't we? Jesus is heartbroken over John's death and potentially even looks forward to his own impending doom that he knows is coming. He's tired from all of the travel and the ministry to the crowds and the constant harassment from his enemies. He needs a reprieve. He needs a rest. He needs time with his father. And so he withdraws. But in Mark, we see that this invitation to rest is not just for Jesus alone. He actually extends it to his disciples as well. Mark 6.31 says this. It says, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. I said, for many were coming and going, but they had no leisure even to eat. So Jesus says to his disciples, hey guys, let's get away. We need to withdraw, to rest, to decompress, to fellowship, and to commune with our Father together. I want you to hear this. This is amazing. That whatever problems you face, whatever difficulties might arise, Your God, my God, invites his people to rest. 
I mean, there's no other God that is like this. All other gods called our people to work and work and work and work endlessly to try to earn his approval. But our God, the God of grace, Jesus calls his people to draw near to him when they're weary and heavy laden. And he promises to give them rest for their weary souls. So the crowds kept pressing in. Jesus knew the importance of rest. And so he said no to the crowds, no to the problems in order to say yes to his father. And he invites his disciples to do the same. Can I just confess to you that when problems arise for me, when I feel like there's an impossible situation, I do not like to rest. I try to work it out on my own. But Jesus says, no, come to me. Find your rest in me. It wasn't easy to find privacy in Galilee. The area is only about 50 miles long and about 25 miles wide, and there were over 200 towns. And so instead of walking through all of these towns, that's why Jesus instead says, hey guys, we need to get into a boat. We need to go to the far eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And as Luke records, It's to this desolate or remote, doesn't mean a wilderness place, it just means a place where there aren't any people. It's a place near Bethsaida. And so about a mile south of this particular town, there's this grassy hillside that's kind of swept up from the plain by the Sea of Galilee to a high mountain. And so as John records, Jesus takes his disciples, they get out of the little boat, they ascend up to the slope and found seclusion to spend time in prayer and teaching and fellowship and in rest and refreshment for their weary soul. So that leads us to invitation number one from Jesus, is to simply rest in him. You know, whatever problem you might face, whatever difficulty might be arising right now, the first and the most important thing that Jesus invites us into is to simply draw near to him. Don't forsake rest to work. Instead, where necessary, forsake work to rest in Jesus. So that's invitation number one. Let's move on to scene number two. Jesus sees his people with compassion. Verse 13 records, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. I want to show you a a map here. There it is. So, uh, Jesus most likely has been ministering on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, somewhere between uh, Gennesaret and Capernaum, most likely in Capernaum. And so as you can see, they take a boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, just south of Bethsaida. That's where they are heading. But as Jesus is heading across the shore to the other side, what are the crowds doing? They are tracking that boat. And as you can see, they can kind of go up along the shoreline over across the Jordan River to Bethsaida. And so the idea here is that as Jesus is coming across the shore, there are a few people that are already there to meet him. Probably the fastest ones, they're running the fastest. Uh, So Jesus and his disciples, they do rest for a while, but not for very long, because as word spreads, as this crowd, this sea of humanity begins to spread across these other towns, there's a growing mass of humanity that empties out onto the mountainside. And it's now including the lame, 
and the blind and those who are diseased and who are ill, who are all coming to Jesus for healing. And how does Jesus respond? Verse 14 says this. So Jesus, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now think about this. Jesus just received bad news from the disciples about his cousin's death. He is trying to have some rest and refreshment from his and with his disciples. He's trying to debrief with them their recent teachings and their healings and their ministry. I mean, he has every right to tell the crowd to wait. But when Jesus sees the crowd, he isn't annoyed by them. He doesn't tell them to leave and come back at another time. No. When they press on, in on him with all of their needs, he sets aside his rest and he sees the people and he responds to them with compassion. In fact, Mark and Luke both say that he looks upon the crowds like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion that it says he has on them, that means to suffer with, to have a heart for. It has the idea of seeing someone who is in need and feeling their hurt, feeling their pain, and then moving towards them with love. This is the heart of our Savior. This is the heart of our shepherd. Uh, Dane Ortland, in his um, very familiar, famous book that we've read, um, I'm sure he says this. He says, when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, His deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. Jesus is not harsh, reactionary, or easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. He doesn't see you in your problems and say, well, that's on you. It's your own fault. No. Jesus, when he looks upon you and he looks upon the crowds, he sees you and he moves towards you with compassion. I don't don't know what pain you might be experiencing, what problems you might be facing, but I want you to know that Jesus sees you. And that when he does, he isn't repulsed by you. He's not annoyed by you. He doesn't mind your interruptions. No, he moves towards you with compassion. C.S. Lewis, by the way, he says that... um, Uh, Who we are, who we truly are, is when we are interrupted. I'm like, oh man, (laughs) I'm in trouble. But for Jesus, I want you to think about this. When he is interrupted by you, he oozes with compassion for you. The Gospel of Luke says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he welcomed them. That word welcome can mean to embrace. It can mean to receive with hands open to you. Jesus welcomes you to share your needs with him. Jesus welcomes you to share your struggles and your pains as well. When you share your heart with him, he shares his heart with you. You know, sometimes we can, be think, we can think that God is so busy running the universe that he doesn't have time for us. But Jesus right here, what does he demonstrate? He sets aside his rest. He sets aside his refreshment. He sets a time, his, set aside his time of planning and debriefing with his disciples to remind us that God is never too busy running the universe, that he can't set it aside to stoop down to the one who has a need, to move towards them with compassion. 
And so if you are facing difficulty right now, listen to invitation number two from Jesus. Simply come to him. He is not annoyed by your interruptions. In fact, he welcomes them. And he welcomes you. Scene three. Jesus tests his people with purpose. So as this crowd is kind of basking in the wonder of our Lord's compassion to the hurting, the disciples begin to focus on another problem, as we see in verse 15. Verse 15 says, Now when it was evening, by the way, there were two different time slots for evening. There was an early and a, and a later, so this is probably the earlier time slot from 3 to 6. Just FYI. So when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, if we flip over to John's account, we actually get a little bit more information about what's going on here. And I love uh, what John MacArthur points out about John's passage. Uh, John says that after Jesus looked out and he saw the crowd coming towards him, he has this sort of personal conversation with Philip, one of the disciples, and he says this, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So he's planting this little problem inside of Philip's brain. And then it goes on and it says, Jesus said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So it seems that Jesus earlier in the day is actually the one that initiates the conversation with the disciples, not the other way around. In essence, he, he plants a problem within Philip's mind, and he says, now, Philip, I'm going to go down. I'm going to spend some time with these people like I always do, and when I'm finished, I want you to figure out how to feed the people. And so as you can imagine, as the crowd is continuing to grow, Philip must have gone to the other 11 and said, guys, we are in big trouble. We've got to figure out a way to feed these people while the Lord is working. But verse 21, what does it record? It says this crowd grows to a mass of 5,000 men plus women plus children. So maybe 15, 20, 25,000 people. It is impossible. This problem just keeps growing more and more impossible for the disciples to solve. And so you can kind of sense their anxiety, their worry, their fear. It's increasing. And don't forget that they haven't eaten either. And so now it's the end of the day. The disciples are tired. They are hungry. They are confused. Their resources are depleted. And so Matthew records their solution. What does he say? Send the crowds away. You ever felt that way? My problem is too big. My resources are too small. The math doesn't add up. God, this is impossible. Send these people, send these problems away. Jesus presses in. Verse 16, Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. John records Philip's response here. He says, Jesus, we've only got 200 denarii. That's not even close to covering the cost of the food. And not only that, but even if we could, we're in the middle of nowhere. We can't go all the way to somewhere else, buy enough food, and then bring it all the way back. It's impossible. And then Andrew says what we see here in Matthew. He says, we only have five loaves here and two fish. In other words, Jesus, we have got nothing. 
You ever been in that place? God, I don't have the resources. God, I don't come from a good family. God, I don't have a good personal history of righteousness. God, I don't have the right skills or the right training or the right relationships or the right portfolio. I don't have anything. How does Jesus respond to these inadequate resources? I love Jesus' response. When they finally come to the place of utter depravity, verse 18 says this, bring them here to me. Jesus brings them to a place of desolation, of desperation. So they will not look to themselves or to their own resources, but to him and him alone. He's like, I've got you right where I want you. Can I tell you, it's in the impossible that God loves to work. So don't let the impossible keep you from trusting in him. I don't know where you might be this last day of 2023 and how you're looking on to 2024, but God says if you are in an impossible place, trust in me. Yeah, this might be a place where your faith is tested, but alongside of that, it is where your faith is grown to look to the God of the impossible to provide. And I love this. By the way, in John, he also records that the five barley loaves and the two fish, which was a common meal for the poor people at that time. That's why they were all walking. They didn't hire a boat to cross over to this side because they had no resources. These five barley loaves and these two fish belonged to a little boy who offered up all that he had to Jesus. Jesus is going to do the greatest miracle through the resources of a little boy who simply said, all I have is yours, God. Invitation number three. If you were in that place of desolation and desperation, note this is the perfect opportunity for God's provision. And so trust in him. Yeah, your faith might be as small as a mustard seed, but your God is infinitely big. Trust in him. I said I would finish the story a little bit ago. So we are at this crossroads. To the left, kind of this off road in the middle of like nowhere, is where the sign says that the nearest village is to be, about 20 kilometers away. But we see on the map that it's supposed to be straight, so we pray and we really sense we need to follow the sign. So we take this left, and about a mile down the road, on the left-hand side, in the middle of nowhere, is a gas station. We pull into the gas station. Of course, we still have no money, and all we have is this little ATM card that they won't allow to be used in a foreign country. We pull in, though, and Julia has some broken Hebrew that she knows, but not enough to really be able to communicate well. And thankfully, there is this man who speaks both English and Hebrew who's also at the gas station getting gas for himself. And so Julia begins to explain the situation. She's like, we have no money. We have no gas. Please help us. And also, my husband, he is going crazy. He's, gonna, he's like, itching all over the place. He looks, he looks kind of crazy right now. Look like a crazy man. Please help. And so the man translates from English into Hebrew to the gas attendant and explains the situation. And the gas attendant says, I will let you use your debit card, even though I'm not supposed to. 
And so we get the gas that we need, and then he says, and you can, there is a little sink that he can wash off on. Of course, I'm washing off as much as I can of the Dead Sea stuff. And we give thanks to God for his provision, and we get back on the road, and we decide to go back from the way that we came so that we could move on to Masada and, uh, and then on to Jerusalem. And so as we get back to the place where we had turned off, there is the sign And the sign to the village that we were supposed to go to says to go straight. God had miraculously turned the sign the opposite direction so that we would go to the gas station to get what we needed. So I don't have time to tell the, the, the story, but as the sun is setting, I was able to propose to Julia in Jerusalem. And we give praise to God, but not only then, but right here today. Because God is a God who sees his people in need. And that brings us to scene number four. Jesus blesses his people with provision. Verse 19. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. So here's the scene. Jesus has just interacted with his disciples talking to them about the situation, about they have impossible tasks before them, and Jesus commands the multitude to sit down on this green grass. It's sloping uh, down towards the shore of the Sea of Galilee. You've got the sun kind of starting to set in the west. The breeze is blowing, and Mark records that these people are organized into groups of 50 and 100. It's kind of like splotched all across this beautiful plain. Everything has been set for this beautiful picnic of 25,000 people. But they still only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And so Jesus is the host of the meal, just like what would often happen in that Jewish culture. He lifts up the food and he blesses it to his father. In fact, the word bless in the book of John means to give thanks. So Jesus is thanking God for these five loaves of bread and these two fish that are supposed to feed 20,000 plus people. He gives thanks for what he has. And you got to wonder if the disciples are like peeking through as their other eyes close, like, there's a delivery truck coming? Like, what is going to happen here? And as we know, as Jesus finishes his prayer, asking for God to bless the food, the miracle of the feeding takes place. And I find it interesting how God does provide. He He doesn't create any sort of fanfare like the Old Testament where there's like manna coming down from heaven for all to see. No, he simply, with his disciples, begins to hand out bread and fish. He breaks it, hands it out, breaks it, and then hands it out. It's almost like he just creates it out of thin air. He multiplies the bread, he multiplies the fish, and it never stops. And I love the fact that he could have done his miracle in a lot of different ways. He could have just said like, food, And then everybody had food in their hands or something. But no, instead, he invites his disciples into this miraculous provision. He distributes the food to his disciples, who then disperse it to the crowd. And the result, verse 20, says this. They all ate and were satisfied. Verse 21, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. That word, to be satisfied, means to be filled. In other words, they had all that they wanted. 
probably the best bread, the best fish these poor people had ever eaten in their lives. And they could just have more and more and more of it until they were filled. Really filled is what that word means. Now, what about the disciples? I want you to think about their experience because they are hungry too. They've been distributing this food for a long time, potentially even hours. We don't know how, how, how it's actually taking place. And they may be wondering, will there be enough for me, Lord? When you have a problem, what is your tendency? What is my tendency to focus on my own needs, what I have, what I need, God? Jesus invites the disciples. He says, I want you to focus on others. I want you to keep serving. I want you to keep partnering with me in my ministry and to trust that I will provide for you. And then verse 20 records this. They took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. How many baskets? 12 baskets. How many disciples? 12 disciples. After the disciples were served, they were served by the Lord, and they were filled to the full and overflowing. God's perfect provision for his disciples. Jesus invites us, if we are in a place of great difficulty, of a lot of problems, we shouldn't let our problems keep us from serving others. That's invitation number four, serve with Jesus. You need to trust, I need to trust that God will take care of my needs, that he will take care of your needs as you take care of those around you. Don't let let your depravity keep you from being a blessing to those around you. Receive what Jesus has given to you and then share it with those around you and trust that he will keep providing. He will keep blessing. He will keep meeting not only the needs of those who you seek to serve, but also your needs as well. Last but not least, scene number five. Jesus satisfies his people with himself. So for this last scene, um, we are going to flip over to John. You don't have to turn there because we have the verses up here. But the next day, the crowd is still there. They've, they've kind of gone home for the evening and they come right back to where Jesus was. And they're all ready for more amazing bread from the bread maker, Jesus. They're like, do it again, Jesus. Do it again. Provide again. And in this interaction, it's a long dialogue in John 6, so we're not going to read it all. But Jesus, in essence, he says, guys, you have missed the point of my miracle. It's not simply to get more bread. It is to get me, the bread of life. John 6.35 says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And on verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So I don't know what problems you might face today, but Jesus says as important as physical needs are, as relational needs are, as job needs are, the most important need that you and I have is our spiritual life. And there's only one place that we can get that need met, and it is in Jesus Christ. In essence, Jesus says, this is why I'm here, crowds. This is why I'm here, Four Oaks. I am here to save you from your sin and to give life to your weary soul. Just as the bread was broken yesterday, so one day my body will be broken for you. 
so that everyone who looks on me and believes on me will have eternal life. Look to me as the bread of life who truly satisfies you. See, just as I hosted a big, beautiful feast that served thousands of people from all walks of life yesterday, so one day I will host a feast to satisfy a crowd that no one can count from every tongue, tribe, and nation. A feast where all your hopes are fulfilled, all your hungers will be satisfied, all your physical and your spiritual needs will be met perfectly and completely and without end in me. All are welcome, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, all can have a seat at my table. So come to me, look to me, be satisfied in me both now and forever. May you hear this invitation from Jesus. Invitation number five is to look to him. I don't know what problems you might face, and as important as they are, Jesus says the most important thing that you need is to draw near to me. For Oaks, may we hear these invitations this morning. When those problems are rising, when those difficulties are setting in, Jesus says, first and foremost, rest in him. Second, he says, come to him. Third, he says, trust in him. Fourth, he says, serve with him. And last but not least, look to him both now and forever. The bread of life who satisfies your soul and who will one day return and take care of all of your needs forever and ever and ever so there will actually never again be a problem. You won't ever have to pray again. You'll just praise. You'll just receive. May we hear that invitation from Jesus today. Let's pray.